had a great Christmas and great 2018. Uh, my wife and I, we had a great surprise in 2018. We had our fourth kid, Mr. Milo Houston Johnson. Here's a picture of him right here. Looking good. I know, the cutest guy. Uh, yeah, he was a surprise. We weren't expecting him, uh, but we are glad he is a healthy kid and we love this guy so much. And I always thought people with four kids were just really crazy and irresponsible. And that's exactly how my wife and I feel. We feel crazy and irresponsible. And I said this at Christmas Eve service, but we have a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, 22-month-old, and a nine-week-old. So we are out of our minds at the house. And speaking of that, uh, 16 days after Milo was born, uh, my wife decided to do family photos for our Christmas cards, which is just a ridiculous experiment with that many kids uh, that young. We have uh, our oldest, uh, Reese, seven, who is a perfectionist, type A. She wants everyone looking at the camera, dressing well. You know, so that's going to fall apart real quick, doing a family photo. Uh, Aiden, who was flossing at Christmas Eve service, he was in the Fortnite dance. He loves climbing on everything and everybody. Uh, that's part of him right here, yeah. And then we have Cooper. Uh, uh, if you've seen Incredibles 2, uh, Jack-Jack, the one-year-old, he has superpower of turning into a monster in any moment, and that is Cooper. She could turn at any moment. And then, uh, of course, Milo, the infant. We all know you can control an infant when they cry, when they sleep, and you can do all that. No? I just So that was us. Uh, this was one of our pictures that we had taken for our family photo. You see Reese, she's already over life. Uh, she's like, this is the worst thing ever, and he's climbing on our wall. I'm like, please get down, as I'm smiling for the camera. Uh, okay, now Next one uh, is uh, Aiden right there, a center of attention. Reese is continuing her downward spiral. And then Cooper is now gouging my eyes out. She never touches these glasses, but we're taking photos. Let's just do that. Uh, next one, our last one, of course, is Cooper. Uh, she is showing everybody her business. So the, the kids are on their bellies, and we're telling Cooper, get on your belly. And she's showing her belly because she only knows like three words. So anyway, that is our family photo. And my wife, she's the best because she decided to use those photos as our Christmas cards and uh, <laughs> to send out to everyone. So everyone's taking pictures and posting that to us because that is our real life. I mean, that is home for us. Everyone is exactly the same way as you see in those pictures. And I just wonder for, I don't know what your year was like, 2018, but I just wonder when it comes to like God's plan God's will for your life. We all want it to be a really good family photo, right? If we're in God's plan, in God's will, everyone's looking good. Everyone's nice to each other. Everyone's behaving. You're looking good. You're smiling. Everyone's looking at the camera. But when life turns, right, and things don't go the way you thought you were planned or the way you thought God had it planned for you, it looks like one of the Johnson family photos. It's just a hot mess and it's all over the place. And I don't know what your life looks like today. I don't know what this year looked like for you, but I wonder if you've ever had those questions of, am I in God's plan? Am I doing what he has wired, created me to do? I heard this analogy of a, of a train station when it comes to God's plan. Imagine we're all at a train station and it is your job to decipher which train to get on. And if you get on the right train, on God's plan, God's will for your life, your life is great and you're headed to a great destination. But if you choose wrong, you're on the wrong train for the rest of your life and everything just seems to fall apart. You know, when I was in high school, there's this pastor, he asked the question, uh, if you're gonna be anybody in the Bible, who would you be? 
And I thought, I wanted to be King David. Like, you know, he's a stud, right? He killed Goliath, and he's uh, described as a good-looking guy. So, of course, in high school, I wanted to be that guy. And then he also was a warrior, and he fought in battles. But he was also this poet, this musician. He had this soft side about him, just this beautiful man. And then he connected with uh, Bathsheba, which was described as a beautiful woman. And I thought, as a high school kid, I want to be with a beautiful woman. So I was going to be like him. But, of course, with King David, he also had incredible impact incredible influence, right? He was a great leader. In order to be that, you have to be in God's plan. And if you're in God's plan, then you'll have this impact and this influence. But if you don't have the impact, if you don't have the influence, I always wondered, am I then not in God's plan and not in his will? I don't know if that was like for you, or maybe for you, it's been your marriage and your marriage has been rocky or potentially you had a separation and you thought, did I get on the wrong train? Was she not supposed to be or he not supposed to be in my life? Was that not part of God's will? Or maybe you had a, a, a kid who's wandered off the path and you thought, you know, if I was on the right train, he or she would never have wandered off the path the first place. Or if they had, if I was on the right train, they would come back really quickly because I'm doing everything right. I'm doing what God wanted me to do. Or maybe you have a job and you thought it was just going to be a job for a year or two, but now it's become your career. And if your teenage self saw what you're doing now, they would wonder, what train did you get on? What happened? And is this all okay? Is this all part of kind of God's plan, God's will for your life? Abraham Lincoln has this great quote, one of my favorites. He says this, the Lord must have loved the common people. He made so many of them. Which, of course, coming from him is almost an insult, right? Because he is an uncommon man. But I'm a common person. And you're a common person. Every person in my life is just common. And I always thought common people, you weren't in God's plan. Because you had to be, if you're in his plan, you were, you're not going to be common. Because you're going to make such a big splash, big impact. But then I heard this sermon from Donald Miller. He's a great author. He's a great thinker. And he had this message about a different analogy, and actually a different uh, plan for our lives. He said this, if you are a virgin and you get pregnant anyway, God has a very specific plan for your life, okay? If you're walking down the street and there's a bush and it's on fire and it begins to talk to you, then God has a very specific plan for your life. If you own a donkey and your donkey talks to you, then God has a very specific plan for your life. Donna Miller believes that if God has something very, very specific for you to do, you will know it. You will not miss it. He will tell you very, very clearly. But for everyone else, including me, and most likely you, he has an analogy called the butcher paper analogy. That God has given us a giant butcher paper, a bunch of crayons, and God just says, draw. And of course, us, and maybe you've done this before, what do you want me to draw? What colors do you want me to use? Who do you want me to be around this butcher paper to draw with me? What do you want me to do? And God, as a great father, just says, draw whatever you want. And I will be with you. I love what Don Miller, he keeps on saying this. He says, he's taught you right from wrong, good from bad, beautiful from pro the profane. So draw and he will be with you, proud of you, cheering you on. So draw. He loves you. So draw in the inspiration of the knowledge of his love. Draw a purple horse, a red ocean, a nine-legged dog. It doesn't matter. Let's stop being so afraid. And when I heard that message, that relieved me so much pressure of trying to always be like King David, never trying to mess up, always trying to be perfect, people's approval. I just thought if I can just draw, just knowing that I love him and he loves me, I think that could be enough. And so I began to be drawn to a guy named Epaphroditus in the Bible. Epaphroditus is just a support role. 
Somebody you've probably never heard before in your life. And what's cool about Epaphroditus is that he doesn't have a burning bush moment. He doesn't have an angel come down. There's no donkeys talking to him. He was just asked a question, do you want to help? And he says, yeah, I think I'll do that. What do you all think? Yeah, I think you should help out. So his story begins actually in first century where Paul is planting a bunch of churches in the known world. If you don't know anything about Paul, Paul hated Christians. In fact, he was trying to arrest them and kill them. But then Jesus encountered in his life in the book of Acts, an incredible encounter, became a Jesus killer from a Jesus follower. And then he started planting churches and he planted a church in the town of Philippi, which is where Epaphroditus is living. Well, because of his faith and Paul's uh, influence in, in the world, that he gets arrested and he's put into prison. And the town of Philippi, that church is distraught over Paul being in prison. So they want to send him a gift. So they send him Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, one of his roles and responsibilities was to take Paul's letters that he was writing to all the different cities and take it to those churches. In fact, what theologians believe is that the very book of Philippians that we have in the Bible was given to Epaphroditus and given to the church. So he was a huge help. But unfortunately, during that time, a Roman fever broke out and Epaphroditus got really sick to the point of death. And Paul and Epaphroditus knew that he had to go back home, back to his home in Philippi to get nursed back to help. But he didn't want to go. Paul didn't want to go, but they knew he had to. Unfortunately, what would have happened, though, for Epaphroditus to go back home is that his people would have called him a quitter. They would have welcomed him with open arms. They would have been disappointed in him. So Paul, in the book of Philippians, writes to those people about Epaphroditus. And look what he has to say. I, Paul, saying this, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And this is a great leadership moment. This is my responsibility. I, Paul, I am making this decision about Epaphroditus because he's been like a brother to me. We've been so close. He is like a family member. He's also a fellow worker. As I'm trying to expand God's kingdom, he is doing it right next to me. He's also a fellow soldier. We're fighting this battle together. We're sacrificing for one another. And your messenger and minister to my need. And I love that word minister. It also be translated as servant. And in the Greek, it's also uh, translated to liturgian. Let's all say liturgian together. Liturgian. Let's say it together again. Liturgian. Liturgian, the definition is this. People who, at their own expense, undertook certain great civic duties because they loved their city so much. A great example of this is in the first century is the Roman Colosseum and the games that would happen there. People would actually kind of get away from their job, find their own shelter and food, just be part of the Roman games, the Colosseum. And so they'd be known as a liturgian because they love the city so much. And Epaphroditus is known for this as well. We have people in Las Vegas who are also liturgian. And the Crossing partners with them. One of our partners is the Kepkate Girls. Kepkate Girls is a nonprofit organization here in town that helps resource and love on people in the adult entertainment industry. In fact, they're trying to get a building downtown to be a resource center. So if they need dental work, they're going to try to help and find those uh, people. If they need emotional help, they're going to find counselors for those in the adult entertainment industry. And the reason why they do this is because they want to be liturgists. They want to be, they love the people in the city. Another partnership we have is Casa de Luz. Casa de Luz is located near the stratosphere, one of the poorest areas in all of Las Vegas. And they've given away hundreds and thousands of pounds of food. Why? Because they love the city. They love the people. They are liturgian for this place. And that's what Epaphroditus is also known for. Well, Paul continues on about him. He says, for he, Epaphroditus, longs for all of you. 
and his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. If he were to die, that would have been so discouraging to Paul. So, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. I love this. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. He not only risked his life because he almost died of this fever, but he's risked his life because being associated with Paul would also could put him in jail and also put him to death. He risked his life. Another way of saying it, he gambled his life. And in fact, the early Christians during that time were known as the gamblers. They were gonna go to any situation not knowing the outcome. They would gamble their lives, not knowing what would happen at the end. And a great example is the plague of Carthage. Carthage is a town in Northern Africa. In AD 252, there was a giant plague that hit that town. Non-Christians believe it was the Christians' fault that the plague happened because so many people were converting to Christianity that the gods were upset with the entire town. So it was gonna wipe it out. So non-Christians, when people got sick, they would leave their friends, leave their family. And if people died, they would take their bodies and put in big piles outside of the city. Well, this guy named Cyprian, he's a bishop Christian. And his people, his church, decided to go into Carthage and help those who were sick. Be beside them, give them water and give them food. And if they were to pass away, they would bury them honorably. And because of Cyprian and because of his people, they end up saving the city. They risked their own lives. They gambled their own lives for the sake of the people because they loved them so much. They were liturgian for them. So they're known as the gamblers. And I thought it'd be really great. What if in 2019, the crossing, we were known as the gamblers? Now I know that's ironic being in Las Vegas known as gambling, but what if instead of gambling money, we gambled our lives for the sake of this city? And I think the crossing does a really great job already with this. I think with the night to shine, like you heard earlier from Dave, that we're throwing this giant party, this giant prom with those with special needs. And here's the thing, we're taking a risk because we want 125, 150 people, 50 guests to come to our campus. And we're not there yet. We need more people to come. We need more volunteers. We need more people, things donated. But we love the city. We love those people so much that we're willing to risk it. I think about the men's Mexico home build. We're gonna build a lot of homes uh, coming in the spring. And we need a lot of men to do it. We need a lot of money to pull this off as well. And when we started this, we weren't sure if we're gonna get the men or the money, but we're willing to risk it. We're willing to take the gamble because as we know it's gonna impact so many lives. You've heard about the mid, uh, Midtown campus that we're hoping to launch this coming fall. That is a big risk. That's a big gamble. We don't know if people even wanna come to Midtown, to the crossing there. We don't know if we're gonna get the funds or the people to come, but we're willing to risk it and gamble it because we wanna be liturgians. We wanna be uh, lovers of the city and the people of the city. So I wanna be like Epaphroditus. I wanna be like him. I wanna be a supportive role. He didn't have any miraculous moment, any burning bush. He just said yes to the next thing he believed was gonna honor God and love the people around him. So I hope that you also wanna be like him, be a liturgian, a servant, a gambler. William Barclay, a theologian, a guy I read almost every day, he says this about Epaphroditus and about us. There should be in the Christian almost reckless courage, which makes them ready to gamble their life to serve Christ and 
others. I want to live with that reckless courage every day, inviting God in my life, whatever he wants. And I believe when I start doing that, I will be in his will and his plan for my life. Another way of saying it, trust God. Trusting God with my today leads me into his tomorrow. Let's all say that together if we can. Trusting God with my today leads me into his tomorrow. One more time, a little bit louder. Trusting God with my today leads me into his tomorrow. And so what I'd like to do for the rest of our time is I want to talk to every stage of life that's in this room. And what I've done is I've taken a verse that hopefully fits your stage of life. And when it comes to your stage of life, if you want to write that verse down, take a picture of it. If you want to send it to somebody who's also in that stage, my hope is that when you take this verse, what God's promise is for you and his encouragement for you, if you take that every single day, I know and I believe that you'll be in his plan and his will, not just for that day, but for the next day and the next day. And my hope is this will be encouragement for you when it comes to living in 2019. Also, at the end of every stage I mention, I want us as a church to clap and to cheer and yell for that stage to encourage them in this next coming year. Can we do that? Okay, awesome. All right, so the first stage in this room is our singles. Young, old, it's the singles. Here we are in Second Tim. I heard a little woo. Second uh, Timothy one seven, for the Spirit God singles gave us gave you. Not to make you timid. I butchered this. I'm sorry. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. That the Spirit God, what He has given you, not to make you afraid or timid, but power love and self-discipline, the hardest, hardest thing in your stage is to not look forward to the next stage. There's this kind of discontentment that you might live in because you're waiting for that next thing. If you're younger, you're waiting for that next career. You're waiting for that person in your life. And once that career happens, once that person comes in your life, then you're in God's plan. Then you're in God's will. That's what you think. But what God is saying that this is the time for you to get disciplined This is a time to get routines. This is a time to set boundaries in your life, what you stand for, the priority that you in your faith have, that God has given you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, not to be afraid of the future, but to be ready for it, prepare for it, to risk it. So the question is, when you're watching Netflix for the third day and that message pops up, do you still want to keep on watching this after the sixth episode of your favorite show? What will you say, right? When you're on a date or in a relationship and you're asked over to their apartment or their house, do you have that reckless courage to set boundaries emotionally or physically? Or maybe you're in a place where you're just in a weird moment of not knowing what direction you're supposed to go. And you've been asking God, just tell me what to do. Tell me your plan and will, and I will do it. And God's saying, just sit with me. Be patient with me. Be a liturgian for people around you in this city. Trust me today. And I'm going to lead you to my tomorrow. If we could as a church, can we love on the singles in this room to encourage them this next year of their life? Awesome. All right, next up is our young family and single parents. These are uh, people with kids that are in elementary school and younger. This is my stage of life. This is the verse for you and our kids pastor, uh, Rachel, this is her verse as well. Love this. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. Parents with young kids, you are doing a great job. If you are thoughtful, if you are intentional, if you're helping that little kid survive each day, you are doing a great job. My wife and I always say this, 
no matter how hard we try, no matter how perfect we're trying to be as a parent, our kids are going to go counseling no matter what we do, okay? No matter what. That takes the pressure off of all of us, okay? Uh, my wife and I, we put our kids down uh, one night a couple weeks ago, and Reese and Aiden, the oldest, they have bunk beds. And so Reese is on the top bunk, Aiden's on the bottom, and they switch every two weeks because you have to, right, because you're your parents here. And so we, we read the books, we prayed for them, we left, and my wife was doing stuff outside the room. I went to a different room. And my daughter, Reese, asked for Aiden, who's on the lower bunk, for a glass of water. So he got up out of his bed, went to the dresser, got the water, took it to Reese. She drank it. He got the water back, went back to the dresser. And then Reese said, thank you, Aiden. And then Aiden said back, you're welcome, sissy, because that's what he calls her. How cute is that? And then he got in his bed, and then she said, uh, love you, Aiden. He said, love you, sissy. And my wife heard this. And it was one of those days, if you're a parent with young kids, it was just, we're trying to get through it, trying to get to bedtime so we can just crash. So she went into the room where I was and she told me what they just did. And so my wife just said, I know days are hard and today was really hard as well, but I think we're doing something right. Because they just said, I love you and thank you to each other without us telling them. And I was like, I think we're doing something, okay, I think we're doing a great work. And I don't want to come down from that. I don't want to mess this up. And you'll have a lot of pastors, and my kid will have a lot of pastors, but I'm their only father. And my hope is that I'm only husband to my wife, and I don't want to mess that up. So I don't want to say anything. I don't want to think anything. I don't want to have any immoral problems in my life. I'm doing a great work, and I don't want anything to take me down from that. So I want to trust God with my today. I want to be led into my tomorrow, but it's not going to only lead me. It's going to lead my kids as well. So if you are, uh, if, as a church, can we encourage those with young families in this room? Can we give them a hand? You're doing a great job. Keep it up. All right, next is our uh, teenagers and our parents of teenagers. I've put you guys together because parents, I'm going to have you come to the stage and we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray for you. <laughs> An extra blessing. we got oils and stuff. We'll do whatever. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, teenagers. I've been working with student ministry for, uh, with students for over 12 years and parents of teenagers for over 12 years. So I get this. And so I've been very thoughtful of this verse and this is the one for you. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, teenagers. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. This is such a great verse because this is God's vision for every teenager in this room. And the great thing is, parents, this is your standard and expectation for your teenager. So teenagers, when you get mad at your parents for setting this standard and discipline for this, you can't get mad at them and you get mad at God because he's the one who wrote this. Okay, I'm sorry. This is well, it has to work. But also, students, I know how hard it is. This is the hardest thing in middle school and high school. Not to do, not to say, not to think, not to post, not to take pictures like everyone else. God calls you to be separate, to be able to, in the way you say and what you do and you love and your faith and your purity. But every time I counsel a teenager, I'll always ask the parent as well, how do you speak to your teenager? Do you think less of them? Everyone else is going to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that to your teenager. Show them how to live. Show them what it means to be a liturgian. Show them what it means to have reckless courage. And show them what in your faith and your purity. It's this stage of life, parents, that they don't really care much about what you're saying, but they look at what you're doing. Just show it and live it. Make boundaries. Set that courageous 
um, standard in your life. And trust them with your today. Leave them tomorrow, because not only are you going to be led tomorrow, but teenagers, you'll lead them as well. Can we encourage our teenagers and our parents of teenagers in this room? You're doing a good job. The last one is our empty nesters and those who are retired. This is the verse I have for you. Teach us to number our days that we may gain heart of wisdom. It's a short verse because you're a little bit older. So it's, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Please don't leave or write an email. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because if you are empty nester, you did it. You get to sit in a recliner. You get to stare at a wall for 10 years. You accomplished it, right? Now, God doesn't want you to coast. He has great things still in store for you. He wants you to number your days with urgency every day to follow him, to trust him each day. Because here's the thing, you have wisdom and you have understanding. You know what loss feels like and how to get through it. You know how to celebrate well. You know what it means to have kids who are growing up, who maybe go off and make unwise decisions. You know how all that works. And you can help us. Help families like me. I remember uh, after Milo was born, a couple weeks later, we had empty nesters in this church come to our house and they made us dinner and they held Milo just for a couple hours. And that was the most refreshing thing of our day. In fact, there was so much dinner, we had dinner like the next three nights. It was wonderful. But they had the wisdom in knowing how hard this stage was for my wife and I and for us and those kids. And that's what you'd get to do, empty nesters, those who are retired. Don't coast. God still has great things in store for you every single day. Live with reckless courage. Be a liturgian for the city any way you possibly can. Trust God with your day because he's going to lead you into his tomorrow. Can we love on those who are empty nesters, retired, private guys? So as we head into 2019, may we live with reckless courage. May we live a life where we risk and gamble it for the sake of others in this city. May we be liturgians, servants, ministers. And may we trust God with our today and be led to his tomorrow. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks so much for just another year. The fact that the time changes, the Lord, that we begin to shift our minds more and more towards you. And what you have in store for us every moment of every day. Lord, I pray that we just kind of take the pressure off of ourselves of trying to dictate what your plan is and will is for our life that we just love. And we look around to the responsibilities that you have given us and we do that with all we've got for you and for your kingdom and what you have for us. Lord, I pray for every stage of life that's in this room. No matter what 2018 brought them, how difficult it could have been, Lord, I pray that we become more confident in trusting you. Try to be less controlling and more giving, giving up control to what you have for us. Lord, I pray for this next season of our life, whatever that may look like, you be with us and you guide us in everything that we need help in. Pray this is your name. And everyone said, amen.